everyone, and welcome to another Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On this week's episode, I welcome in Vicki Lewenberger, who is a freelance mindset coach who works in multidisciplinary teams. She comes from a background of high-level sports coaching and now transfers her knowledge of teamwork, leadership, and motivation into the business world. She is also NLP trained and is constantly learning new things on the human behavior and mind. In 2022, she started hosting wellness retreats and team building workshops. 2022 is also the year where she reaches her biggest goal of the decade, moving on a sailboat to start a nomad lifestyle. And we talk about a lot of getting on the sailboat and that experience that she's about to embark on, as well as several other things around coaching and getting the best out of our performance day in and day out. So I hope you all enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Vicki. And without further ado, Please welcome in Vicki Lewenberger. Vicki, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you and excited to learn a little bit more about your journey and get some insights, um, especially around mindset, which I know is a big topic on this podcast a lot. So excited to hear your thoughts. Um, as I like to start off a lot because, you know, we all come from different backgrounds, different ways of life. Um, but everyone has their own kind of getting started moments, whether it's they got laid off for a job or some serendipitous, you know, lucky break, whatever it is. So I thought we'd start if, if we can, and you could share more than one if you want. But as you look back and reflect on your life, is there one or two like moments that were really impactful, some inflection points that, you know, altered your journey to what you're doing today? 100%, 100%. So I have two main moments that I want to share with you. The first one is more in regards to coaching. So I've been an artistic swimming coach for over 12 years now. I'm going to stop coaching sports this year. This was my last year, just went to my last championships. And um, I think the year 2017, 2018 was just such a turning point for me because I was given in September a team of eight athletes and they were 52nd in the league. So they were second to last. And I'm given this team in September. I watch them train for about three weeks. I sit down with them. I have a good, a good chat. I ask them about their fears and their goals and all of that. And then I tell them, okay, end of the year, top three, top three in the nation. And I hear them laughing in the change room going, the new coach is crazy. Who is this girl? This is not possible. And we just had a golden year. Every single competition that we showed up to that year, we came back with the first place all the way to the national championships. Mm. And that just proved to me the power of mindset and the power of teamwork and the power of getting help and working on your nervous system regulation, because there's no way that in eight or nine months, I was able to transform these athletes' bodies what changed was that the way they were training and the way they were approaching competition. So I think that was the moment I was like, Oh, I need to, I want to focus on mindset coaching. I want to focus on training minds and helping other humans achieve their full potential. Cause that growth in those eight months was just phenomenal. Mm. Uh, so that was definitely a turning point for coaching. And then as you already know, I don't know if the audience knows, but I'm soon moving on a sailboat. Mm. So another turning point was definitely in the winter of 2018, where I went sailing for the first time. So I was not sailing was not part of my childhood. I was not brought up with sailing. I just went on a charter trip. So I was on a sailboat in the Bahamas uh, for two weeks. And I just fell in love with the lifestyle, fell in love with it. And I was like, this is part of my future. 
I need to just get started and make this happen. So I want to get into the sailing stuff and we'll, I'm going to, I'm going to put a pin in that. We'll get in that. Maybe we'll end on that because that's, that's pretty cool. One, what is artistic swimming? What does that mean? Um, do you know synchronized swimming? Uh, yes. I've heard, I've heard of that. I, I'm, 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 I would be in the lowest level of novice that you of around what that is, but yes, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. So synchronized swimming and artistic swimming on the same thing. We just changed the Federation changed the name in 2014 but it's the exact same sport. So it's kind of like cheerleading, but in the water and you can't touch the bottom. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. My partner calls it underwater torture ballet. Okay, interesting. I'm sure that was tried, but they decided to go with artistic instead. That was probably yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, so, so here's... I, I want to go into a little bit deeper and, and share where you'd like. So you approach this team, you, you get this team of eight and you've kind of observed them. I, I guess my thought for you personally, how did you come to that realization? Like what happened in your background prior that made you realize mindset was so important that, Hey, these folks talent wise, sure. They need to improve probably a little, but a lot of it was already inside them. Like, how, how did your journey develop to actually, you know, because it's one thing to say, yeah, we did this, but it's not that you just poofed it out of the air. Like you probably went through some stuff to actually recognize that, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. For me, it's definitely the power of words. I think that the words that I choose in my life to describe kind of like storytelling, you know, the way that I reframe what I'm going through has just brought me so many opportunities. I'm the kind of person that will if they are no doors to opportunity, I'm going to build the freaking door and then open it. And um, just, we did so many little small changes when I started working with them. Stop saying, I can't do it. You know, I really believe that if you believe you can or can't do something, you are right. And that's been true in my life, my whole childhood, my whole teenage years as a young adult. There's so many times where I thought I was going to fail. And then because I approached it from a different perspective, I succeeded or I reframed what success meant to me. Um, so I think that that was the biggest thing, the words that we're choosing and um, just believing that it's possible, creating a new belief in our brain that it is possible. Did you fail a lot as a kid? Did I fail a lot as a kid? I have to be honest, not that much. Okay. Not well, that much. I was a pretty good, I was a pretty good student. I was a pretty good athlete as well. I had a very good career. A, However, I did have a lot of emotions. I did get into a lot of conflicts with other kids. Uh, there was something socially that wasn't quite um, aligned yet or calibrated. So definitely in terms of like welcoming emotions, understanding emotions, where they're coming from. So a lot of overwhelmed, you know, even if I, if I was second in my mind when I was 10 years old, that was failure. So I used the same tools that I've developed for myself to deal with the failure of being second that I use for athletes who were 50 second because you, in your body it's the same you know it's the same feeling <laughs> yeah now did you because obviously you know getting into coaching sometimes you know that's because maybe you had great coaches or you had parents or support systems so you, you felt the relevance there did you have some of those folks when you were growing up that that were there kind of as guides or mentors 100 percent, 100 percent. I had I have the chance to be coached by incredible people, very creative, so much pedagogy, just the way to bring 
to make training something fun that I want to go to practice because artistic swimming, I don't know. Well, you don't know this, the sport much, but it's one of the sports, at least in Canada, who trains the most hours in terms of volume. Mm. So our Olympic team out of any Canadian Olympic sport is a team that trains the most. So when I was 14, 15, 16, I would train up to 25 hours a day on top of school. No, it's 25 hours a week. Sorry, not a day. That would make no sense. I, I, I picked up on that. I figured. Yeah. So it's, it's very demanding. So to have coaches that are able yeah. to keep you motivated and want you to keep showing up, that's an art. That's an art. And I, I just had to give that back. And then my, my mom is an elementary school teacher and she's just my inspiration in almost everything that I do. What I love the most about her is that she never sits on what she knows. She's this, this teacher that's always going to try to, to, to improve herself, to do something new, to become better, to go to a seminar, to read a book, to listen to a podcast. She's not going to sit on her expertise and she's not afraid to ask for help, ask for, for help from a new teacher who's just starting out. Hey, do you have an idea? How can I do this better? Ask help from older teachers, ask help from the, you know, the lunch lady, because she might have a different insight that she didn't think of. Mm. Um, so this mixture of humility and always, always trying to grow is really what inspired me and made me love coaching so much. It made me not afraid to ask for help, not afraid to go sit down, you know, in a pool to watch an older coach coach for hours, just to pick up anyways that I could be even better at what I do. Yeah, that's a great point. I, and I, you know, I had some similar experience where, you know, cause I used to be a PJ professional used to, you know, teach golf um, for a living in a, in a prior life, but, and even a lot of the coaching I do now, but I think of it from the same standpoint of, I, I kind of had that, I don't know if it's the ego or whatever, growing up in upstate New York and kind of like, you, know, you got to know everything. But once I realized like, Hey, mentors and coaches that I started to work with, like after high school and college and beyond, they were always going to seminars. They were like watching other teachers that maybe were younger than them or less experienced just to pick up a little stuff. And, and that really opened my eyes. Like, wow, actually, if you act, not act, but like, if you don't know everything and, and have that, that humility, as you mentioned, it's amazing how much you actually can learn and expand your mind because you don't kind of say, I know it all. And this is the only way you realize, Hey, there's many avenues if you're open to learning it. So that's a great point. hundred percent, hundred percent. I think, and also as you get into higher levels of coaching, you just recognize the richness of working in a multidisciplinary team. So when you're coaching a national team, it's not just one coach. You're never going to be just one coach. There's going to be the strength and conditioning specialist. There's going to be a nutritionist. There's going to be a sports psychologist. There's going to be, in our case, a choreographer. There's going to be someone, you know, who's in charge of the designs of the suits and the makeup and the more artistic side of things. Cause it's like a circus act. Uh, there's going to be a technician who specialized in biomechanics of how to put the, the athletes to push the other ones as high as possible in the air. So all these people work together. And as the coach, your job is to create the best environment for your athletes to thrive, right? You're not a teacher. You're not giving information. What you're creating is what you are as a creator of an environment and having all of these people work together efficiently. Um, so that's really, that's the foundation of my expertise and experience is having that chance to work in teams where everyone brings different expertise and work together to help these humans grow. Well, so you mentioned you, you pick up this team and this may transition us, you know, more in the mindset conversation, which I wanted to spend some time on. So you have this team of eight, 
you know, they're, they're, as you said, they're kind of chuckling, laughing, you know, saying, yeah, I don't know about this. But when did you start to realize that they were getting it? Like they were buying into the story that you were sharing with them? Yeah. How long did it take? Uh, it took the first competition. They didn't believe it until the first competition. Mm. Yeah. They had to, to see them compete against others, I think. And one of my pillars. So for me, there are three pillars to motivation. There is um, competence, affiliation, and autonomy. And I think that once that last pillar, autonomy, kicks in, that's when you see the biggest change. Because my athletes need to want, they need to want this more than I do. Mm. And it's not going to work if I coach a team and after two months I see that I want it more than them. It's because I did something wrong or it's because they don't want it that much. So we're not going to achieve our goals to be first or second or third or in the top 10 even. So they need to want it. So trying to foster autonomy as much as I can, you know, and simple things like an athlete comes up to you and is like, oh, I feel sick today or my ankle hurt or whatever. I'm not making the decision. You're 15. What do you want to do? Do you want to swim today? Do you want to be out of the pool? You make the decision. I'm the coach, but I'm not, I'm not performing. You are performing. You need to make decisions and be happy with your, your, your decisions that you're making. So really fostering that pillar of autonomy as much as I could. And I think that's the, for me, that's the pillar that created the biggest change because sometimes I would get laid to the pool for whatever reason. And the athletes would start training without me. Mm. And that's, yeah that's what you want. You want, you want people who want this and people who are committed to this. Well, and I think that's where I see this. I have a young, young son. And again, I think I took this from, you know, teaching golf and working with a lot of, you know, young junior players. Like, again, you're, you're saying that teenage years or even younger, it's the same thing as like, you see a lot of these parents and I'm not going to knock the parents for everything, but you know who I'm talking about, the ones that are yelling at their kids and like, you need to do it more. You didn't, and they're like really protective and, you know, get out there and practice. And to your point, I think that's a detriment to the kids because ultimately they just get burned out and they don't, they don't want to really do it. And if you give them some agency to say, do you want to do this or not? Let's see what they say. And if they don't want to do it, why would you force them? I, you know, yeah. I, I think yeah. that the, the commitment's a big thing. I, I, I definitely agree with you for sure. It's about commitment. It's not about motivation. People think that, you know, athletes think about it 25 hours a week when you're, you're 15, it means no parties, no boyfriends. It's not about motivation. My athletes or me, I'm not motivated every day, but I'm committed. When you're committed, you're going to show up. Yeah. I remember going, well, you obviously were doing this. So you, you know, the same thing, like, yeah, you decided to make, I remember going to hit golf balls, like 40 degree weather and there's some snow you have to move off the ground. But I, I was the one asking my, you know, my mom, Hey, can you take me over to the course so I can hit like those are, I remember those days. Cause I'm like, I love like the game so much. It was so different than if you're just pushing someone like, Hey, you got to go out here for three hours. You're not going to put your heart into it. You're yeah. not going to care, you know? Yeah. Um, what are the things like, and I know there's so many things with a mindset you can talk about, but there are, there some things for folks like getting started, right? And maybe listening to this that you could take from your coaching. Uh, maybe it's with the, you know, these kids that you're working with, or maybe it could be some, something else, but what are some of the keys from a mindset standpoint to think about that yeah. they could consider today uh, to get started? That's great. That's a great question. Um, I want to get back to those three pillars, actually autonomy, competence, and uh, affiliation. Cause I think that 
those are basically three basic human needs. And if you bring back your reflection to those three things, your life can only improve. So we talked about autonomy. You just mentioned, if I, if I tell someone you have to do something, we tend to do that for ourselves so many times. Oh, I have to go grocery shopping. I have to do the dishes. I have to, I have to, you don't have to do anything. You are free. Unless of course you're like detained in a prison in Russia, then we'll talk about it. But most regular humans here in the Western world, we are free. So you choose to do your dishes because you like to be in a clean environment. You choose to go grocery shopping at this time and at this special market because it's convenient for you. You get to go grocery shopping because you have the money that allows you to do that. It's a small reframe, but it completely changes your mindset. Remove all of those have to of your life, take back your power and just your most powerful power is choice. So realize how many micro choices you're making every day. And are those choices aligned with your goals? So that's my first pillar, autonomy. How can you feel more autonomous in your life? How can you feel like you have the most choice? And it's different for everyone. So people need to have this reflection of when do I feel like I have the choice? When do I feel autonomous? Is it when I choose to work out in the morning versus when I feel forced to do it at, at night. You know, I don't have to work out to get a bikini body for the summer. I choose to work out because it gives me energy. Yeah. I, I, this, this comes up way too often on the podcast, but I love uh, James clear. I'm not sure if you've read atomic habits, but you know, yes. he talks, he talks about the whole idea of, you know, it's not, I want to lose 50 pounds. It's I want to Dang. act like someone I want to, I want to live a lifestyle like someone that's healthy. And it allows you to make choices that are better in line with you versus, yeah, to your point, it's like, oh, I gotta, gotta go run around the block today. Or, you know, I gotta, I gotta eat these veggies. Well, no, you don't have to, there's other options, but it allows you to think a little bit, you know, kind of a reframe. I like how you put that for sure. Yeah. Reframe. So that's for autonomy when it comes to affiliation and competence. So humans, we are motivated and happy when we feel competent. So how can you make yourself feel more competent? Is it by breaking down your huge goal and smaller pieces that you know you're going to achieve? You know, I didn't tell my athletes every single practice, remember gold medal, remember gold medal. No, I would tell them today, this is what we're trying to achieve. And then we had a small success every single day, every single practice. So we're building a sense of competence inside of our body. And I do the same for when I'm coaching businesses or when I'm hosting retreats. I have my big vision but I have small goals that I know I'm going to achieve today that I can celebrate. And you need to celebrate yourself. If you went through a whole week without pressing snooze on your, on your clock, that's a win. Celebrate your wins. Give yourself a high five in the mirror. Like Mel Robbins says to feel, to, to nourish that sense of competent competence in yourself. So that's the question I'd like people to reflect on. How can I make myself feel, feel more competent? Is it by telling yourself some compliments in the mirror every morning? You know, it's those little things, but find a way to nourish both your autonomy and your competence every day, every week, every month, every year on different levels. And the third one, as I mentioned earlier, the third pillar for me is affiliation. So to feel like you belong to something bigger than yourself. So it could be a sense of belonging in terms of in a group and a team feeling like you belong or it could be belonging to a cause or a bigger purpose as well. So you're talking about lifestyle. If a part of me unconsciously 
um, judges the people who work out all the time and eat steamed veggies, then of course I'm going to self-sabotage any of my efforts to build a healthy lifestyle because I don't feel a sentiment of belonging to that community. So that's something I had to work on with my athletes is to really build that sentiment of you are champions. You belong to this, to this cause. You, be, you, know, you, you belong to something bigger and to, to recreate that. Where does, from a confidence standpoint, you know, day after day, right? We love for it to be on all day, every day, but we get in like these moments of depression. We get, you know, bad things happen to us. How, how would you encourage people to kind of lift themselves out of the, you know, the valley, if you will, um, and, and, and kind of get back to a better state of mind? Yeah, hundred percent. So a lot of people think that confidence comes from competence. I don't believe in that at all. I don't believe that confidence comes from past experience. I mean, have you seen a four-year-old with a Spider-Man t-shirt at a park? Like this person is just overflowing with confidence. Maybe they've never been to a park before. So it's possible for us to be confident towards the unknown. It's possible for us to be confident in our everyday life as long as we feel safe. That's the secret to confidence. If you feel safe within yourself, you will be confident. And a lot of people don't allow themselves to make mistakes. So they don't feel safe within their body, within their mind to try new things. Because if they go through failure, they will beat themselves up in their head. They'll say, oh no, you suck. You're so bad. No one will love you. We have all these negative thoughts in your head. So I would say, think, reflect on how you can make yourself feel more safe. And that's the, that's the soil that your confidence will grow from. Is that a, you know, going back to the small steps, would, would you encourage, because it, because someone can say, well, yeah, but I want to, you know, again, I want to write a book, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, or I want to run a marathon or whatever, but they just might be fearful to actually get out there and do it. But is it just, Hey, going back to what we were talking about earlier, those small steps, Hey, go ahead and run around the block a few times or go ahead. Like getting started could be, you don't have to, to your point, get unsafe. Like you're like, I, what it gets in my head is like, you're not running out into the deep woods. You're just kind of venturing out back in the backyard, right? You're yes. You're not as close to home, but you're not as far away yet. And, and kind of building from there. Is that the best way to do it? I think so. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you want to write a book, start by writing a sentence. What feels safe for you today? What feels safe for you today is writing a page, write a page. And then every day, like our nervous system, like I like to see it as a container. And every time we put our nervous system through stressful or fearful experiences, our container grows a little bit and it's able to sustain more stress. So like, I'm about to do the craziest thing of my life. I just sold everything that I own. I'm, my life is in three boxes. I'm about to move on a sailboat. So there's going to be pirates and storms and sharks. Am I scared? Yes. hundred percent. But my container, I, I, you know, I spend years growing that container to be able to sustain this amount of stress on my body by doing competitions, by doing something a little bit outside of that safe line every day, every month, taking a cold shower, but just growing that container to be able to, to, to feel more, experience more things that most people don't experience because I take that risk. So with the sailboat, 
one, how does one come to the decision to say, you know, I'm going to go on a sailboat for how, like, is there a, a stopping point or is it, this is, you know, whenever you guys want to stop, like, do you have yeah. a, I'm going to be out there for X amount of time or. There is no timeline. There's no timeline. We're offering ourselves the possibilities that we might not like it. Cause the longest both of us has been on the sailboat is three weeks. Okay. And now this is our permanent home. So we're going to have to figure out very soon if we like it or not. Um, we do have an itinerary. So right now the boat is in Trinidad and Tobago. So when we come back from our summer trips, we'll be meeting our boat in September. We've never seen it in person yet. We've only seen videos and Zoom calls and a friend checked it out for us. And then uh, from Trinidad and Tobago, we'd want to stay there until the end of hurricane season and then start selling up all the islands um, that are nearby Trinidad. So that's uh, uh, Grenada, Grenadines, Barbados, St. Lucia, Martinique, Guadeloupe, St. Peter's, British Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. And then we want to go up um, kind of in that area. And then if in a year we still love it, we're just going to buy a bigger boat. And mm. if we don't, we're going to sell it and move on to another cool project. So what it your experience, like how many times have you said, like, do you have to have not a license, but like, what would, what's like the, the confidence level of like your sailing? Like, is there a grading like tennis one to five? Like what, what's your sailing experience there? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. So we've taken, I've been preparing for this trip for four years, right? I went on my first sailboat trip in 2018. I said, okay, this is when I, uh, this is what I want to do. Uh, what can I do today to get closer to my goal? Break it down in a smaller piece. What feels safe to do today? So I started with the basic boat license. So that's the only thing that is mandatory if you want to buy a boat or if you want to sail around. And um, you can do that in about four hours online. Super easy, super cheap. I decided to go for a 33-hour course to make sure that I feel really good about this exam. Then another thing that is mandatory is the VHF radio. So you want to be able to ask for help. Uh, so you need to have a permit to operate that radio on your boat, um, especially if you're cruising around and moving from different countries. So this is the basic, what is mandatory, like legally per se, to sail. Of course, for me, that's not enough to feel safe. So I want to grow that competence, right? So I did an electricity class to know how to fix up the electricity on my boat, how the solar panels work and all of that. Then I did a course on how to navigate on maps, because what if my GPS dies or my electronics is full of water? How can I find myself out just with a map? So I did a 40 hour course just navigating on maps. They give you a problem like, I don't know, there's five knots of current. Uh, there's a wind at this strength coming your way. You're trying to get from this port to this port. And uh, there's a there's a tide that you have to calculate on top of that. So I did that course and then my partner and I, we both did uh, three in-person, like three practical courses on boats um, as well. So I feel confident, like, I don't know, you want me to scale on a scale of one to 10? Yeah, sure. I would say I feel confident. Okay. It depends for what I feel confident for a short sale, like going out of the marina, anchoring close to an island and come back. I would say I feel confident like seven out of 10. But for a night sail, for example, if I had to sail from Trinidad to Grenada tomorrow, maybe four out of 10. Hmm. Um, 
what is what's what are you the most nervous about like is the night sale you think or is there something total like what's the the thing that's on your mind that you're worrying about the most Uh, meteorology so i took two or three meteorology courses every time my brain just goes like blank and i feel like i don't get it i need someone i need to experience it firsthand um so yeah i'm scared to like miscalculate a depression or a hurricane coming and going in the wrong direction with my boat that's something that scares me and how big's the boat i didn't ask that like how, how what's the size here it's a 30 feet 30 feet okay it's, it's probably big but it doesn't seem big for when you're on the open ocean but yes you know i'm yes. sure people do this all the time right this is not yeah yeah that's the, that's another thing you said earlier if people are newbies to mindset or newbies to big big scary goals the first thing i suggest everyone that tells me to have a big goal whether it's to have a farm and raise baby goats or to i don't know drive a hot hair balloon uh, find someone who's done it Find someone who's done it before you. If you're thinking about this crazy idea, there's like 90% chance someone has done it before you. If you want to start a podcast, if you want to start writing a book, just find someone who's done it. Sit down with them. Ask them about their experience. Um, That's really helped me with sailing. I sat down with so many experienced sailors and asked them all of my questions. And they were really, really helpful in my journey. Well, it kind of reminds me, I was, um, I had a massive fear of flying for since my first flight when I was 13 to probably, you know, I mean, going back maybe eight or nine years, right? So, you know, for whatever it was, 20 something years, at least 25 years. And, uh, but what's interesting is not to the extent you did with like 40 hour courses, but I was like, what, what I'm telling myself these stories about flying, why don't I actually do some real research? So I researched like lift and, and pitch and drag and all these things. And, you know, I, I researched like, okay, these pilots and flight attendants, they're doing this for their job. Like this is their livelihood. You know, there's thousands of flights that are going on every day. So like safety wise, it's one of the safest things you can do. Are there accidents that things happen? Absolutely. But that's with anything in life. So after I did that though, all of us, it's amazing the last, you know, handful of years flying, I don't get, I don't white knuckle it anymore. I don't get like, you know, I just, I just pretty much relax just knowing that, Hey, listen, I've done my research. I have to trust what the, that research has given me, you know? So again, not the, not the extent you have with sailing, but I, I appreciate you doing that because yeah, you just want to know more information. So oh, yeah, you're more exactly. prepared, you know? Exactly. You're ra- you're rationalizing because yeah. you know, there's something about fears that are so irrational. And that's something I had to be very careful with in the last two months, because every time I met someone, they had a new fear about my project that I didn't have. Oh, but did you think about this? And then I'm like, oh, did I think about this? Should I be nervous? Should I be scared? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not buying everyone else's fears. I think that, I think that human biologically were born with only two fears. It's like fear of heights and fear of um, loud noises. And every other fear that we have, we bought it from someone or we chose it or we had a bad experience and then we created a promise of protection in our bodies of like oh i will never i will never do this again to protect myself so i had to be really careful and even if someone's listening and they have a dream or they have a big project like be so careful of not buying everyone else buying your parents fear buying your friends fears just because they are afraid of your your project or your dream what do you, what do you do all day on a boat? Like, cause there's one thing, it's a 30 foot boat. I don't know how wide it is, but you know, maybe it's what 10 or 12 feet wide. I'm making that up. I don't know. 
20 feet wide but like so you're on this boat like what do you can you work on there like i don't even know how the does the internet work out in the ocean like with like is it 5g is it starlink like what, what do you what do you use out there yeah that's an excellent question so as long as we are you know 10 miles from the coast we just buy a sim card from whichever country we're in hmm. So it's okay. pretty simple. Uh, we are looking into Starlink. That is a possibility. Some sailors use it. We're looking also into Google Fi, which is like the new Google phone that has internet everywhere. That's another possibility. Um, we know it's possible. We don't have personally the, the software for it at the moment, but we see other sailors that have internet anywhere they are, even in the middle of the ocean. So we know it's possible. Um, for us, like more of the boat just to tell you because you seem curious about that there's a bedroom and for me and my partner then there's a bathroom and some storage and then there's like a main room um where we can work easily or have dinner we could be maybe eight people sitting around the table in that area oh okay so it's pretty pretty wide and those seats uh someone could sleep on it easily also if we had guests on and then there's a small kitchen and there's another cabin in the front where another maybe couple could sleep or one single person. Hmm. And then there's be, some. Are you going to be documenting this journey the whole time? Are we going to be what? Documenting the journey? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay, of good. Course. Are we yeah. taking videos and photos and sharing it with everyone? I'm so excited to share like ridiculous things. Like we have a compost toilet. So many people ask is, me so many <laughs> questions about it, but I'm really, I don't know. I've never used it. So I'm really excited to discover it and share all the adventures or misadventures I'm going to have right. dealing with all those new things. But uh, yeah, so we can comfortably work, have people over, sleep in our beds, hmm. like a tiny house. That's awesome. Well, that seems really intriguing and interesting. And uh, I'm excited for you. And there's, I'm, I'm excited to follow the journey and see, you know, your getting started moment here with the sailboat. Yeah. Um, well, so let me get you out of here on this then, because I can probably pepper you for another hour on the sailboat. So <laughs> I won't do that today. Um, someone's getting started today and we could take it away from mindset. It could be anything. It could be starting a business. Doesn't matter. Is there one piece of like advice that you use often or a quote you live by anything specific you would call out to get them started in the right direction? Mm -hmm. Okay. Aside from the find someone who's done it before you, which I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. my personal compass is the question, do I like myself when? So when I meet a new person, a new friend, a new business partner, a new client, I ask myself, do I love myself when I'm with this person? Because I think that sometimes all of our energy is so directed towards the outside, towards the appearance, towards, oh, this friend has so much success or money or fame that I want to be friends with them. But it's not about that. It's about who you are. Do you love yourself when you complain? Do you love yourself when your apartment is a mess? Do you love yourself in any situation? So I love myself when I'm on the, on the boat experiencing new adventures. I love myself when I get out of my comfort zone. I love myself when I learn new things. So when do you love yourself? And how can you produce more of that in your life? Well, that's a great point. I like that, that visualization. Yeah, because oftentimes we settle for things that aren't, you know, they're kind of the like, I kind of live by the fuck yeah or no philosophy. Like, if it's not fuck yeah, it's probably a no. Like, we can't live in the middle because, again, it's probably not making us happy most of the time. So I like that um, question. That's awesome. Um, this, this has been a 
an absolute blast. This is fun. Um, I'm excited for your sail trip, your, your sailboat journey. Um, so good luck with that. Where can folks say hello to you online? Maybe when you're on the, the, the sail trip, if some of those details are available now, anything you'd share? hundred percent. So my Instagram handle is just my name. That's probably the easiest place to get to me. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook, of course. I also have a podcast on Apple, um, Apple podcasts and Spotify named aim for more, um, which I go on every two weeks, drop a short five to seven minutes, just kind of like usually a truth bomb and then some homework or some, some question to have you reflect on. Awesome. Well, Vicki, this has been a blast. I appreciate you joining and uh, thanks for taking the time out. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, and just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.